Thank you for uh, the leadership of the Community Bible Study and their heart for you and their heart to help people grow in your word and in faith. And Father, we pray that's exactly what would happen this year. Father, we pray as they go in the Gospel of Matthew that the students and those that are involved in this would not come away with head knowledge or with something that would puff us up. But Father, they would have an encounter with Jesus and with your Holy Spirit and that you would begin to transform their life, that they would have testimony that even grows in this Estes Valley, that uh, Jesus would come alive in them and through them. And Father, we pray that there would be a blessing that would flow from that community Bible study to grow all of the churches in this valley in likeness to Christ and in unity and faith. And Father God, we also pray for those that need to go to this study, but right now perhaps have things or obstacles in their way, whether they're schedules or other things that are happening, that you would help them to remove those obstacles so that they can go and connect with you the way that they are being drawn to. Father, we pray these things for your glory. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Very good. Well, uh, our sermon today is a second part of a three-part series on uh, more... And uh, that's actually what it's called, more, because it's talking more Jesus is what we want. Last week we talked about more of Jesus. Uh, that uh, was our 20th anniversary as a church, and so we talked about why are we here as a congregation? Why do we exist? Why did we form? And it started as a small Bible study or a prayer group that just wanted more of Jesus in the Essence Valley, more of Jesus in their lives, more of Jesus in the, in the community, and that little prayer group uh, has grown into the family of faith that we have today. And now we want to take a look at what does that mean to have more of Jesus, right? That's uh, it's an important thing for us to look at. Uh, every every church that I can think of that I, um, wants more of Jesus, right? We want more people to be like Jesus. We want more people to come to faith. Uh, we pray about revival, don't we, as a church? And not just us, but... There are Christians all over that get down and we pray for revival and we want revival. We say, we want more of Jesus. We want to have more of it. And we want to, as a church, our vision is to saturate the Estes Valley with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That means anybody who steps foot in here isn't going to leave without knowing who Jesus is, what he has done for them, and how to respond to him. Uh, Until every dark corner of this community has been flooded with the light of the gospel, how people respond is up to them. And we certainly love them and hope enough and we pray for them that God will reach the hearts of this community in a powerful and a life-giving way. We look for revival. In fact, we look for revival because we look for a, a life of Christ in the lives of many people that hasn't existed before. But in order to get from here to there, how do churches start from this point where we're praying about it? We want, we see God's heart. He said, go to all people. He wants all to come to faith. How do we get from where we are today to a place where the gospel saturates every corner of the Estes Valley. And we're praying for it. Is God in his spirit with, with holding back? Now, I think that there's something in discipleship that we need to look for. There is a step between here and there. There is a step between having church and, and, and having life of Christ in the community. There is a step between the desire for growth and, and seeing evangelism happen in power. And it starts like this. We look at the model of Jesus, and he said uh, he, he, he made disciples. And then he asked those disciples to make disciples. There was something amazing that happened in the first century. Human beings that were fishermen or, or tax collectors or whatever, they were transformed from selfish, small-living people 
and to disciples and to world changers. The step between here and having more people for Jesus is this. We have to begin with discipleship here. We need to become more like Jesus. Because the more like Jesus we become, the more of Jesus there is in this community, right? That's the step. We say that we have to be disciples that then build disciples. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Today's memory verse actually comes from that. It's Mark 8.34 and it says this, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Now let's get some context. We never want to go to scripture without context. Jesus is talking about here two people saying, This is what it costs you to follow me. If you want to be my disciple, and he was talking to the crowds because there was a lot of people that were coming to Jesus for the show. And they were willing to pay their admission and to finance and to make him feel good and to give him all the things. And Jesus said, whoa, that's not winning. That's not just having the show, just showing up and supporting me in this way. That is not what he's looking for. And he talks to them very, very clearly that to follow him costs something. And he warns us, those who would be his disciples, he says, consider this before you take a step off the boat. Before you decide to to follow me, understand what it's going to cost you. And he tells us several stories and, and parables to illustrate this, and then he wraps it all up with this thing here, he says, and he kind of summarizes the cross. He said, everyone to be a disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Disciples make disciples. That's what happens, right? And if we want to make disciples, we need to be disciples. And if we want to be disciples of Jesus, this is what it's going to take for us. And so we want to set this verse to our hearts. So I encourage you and welcome you to go along and say this with me. Ready? Go. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Mark 8. 34. All right, I'll say it again. It's fun. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Mark 8:34. All right, again. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Mark 8:34. All right, again. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their their cross and follow me. Mark 8.34. Okay, last time. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Mark 8.34. Woo! Oh, you guys are so good. I'm so proud of you. Now, what's going to happen is you're going to forget that in about three minutes. So what we want to do is we want to memorize this and meditate on it, think about it. So in your bulletin, there's a memory verse card. I want you to take it out right now and put it in your pocket, your wallet, your purse, on the back of your phone, wherever you can get to it, and remind ourselves of this week. We're going to actually talk about this passage today, uh, break it down for us, some good stuff. So, more like Jesus. That's what we're looking for. You know that um, last week our memory verse was the Great Commission. And that's where Jesus tells us what he wants us to do. He says, Jesus came and told his disciples, therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now we talked about last week how as a church, we started as as a fellowship of believers in the Estes Valley with the great commitment to the great commandment and the great commission. 
that great commission we just talked about. And we broke it down in our, vision, in our mission statement. It's to, it's to know God's love and to grow in God's love and to love God and others and to go and share God's love. And that's what it means to have more of Jesus. But what we said here today, that also means that we have to become more like Jesus. That great commission and the great commandment, by the way, is the attitude and the way in which we fulfill that commission is to love God with everything and to love others at least as much as we love ourselves cannot be completed until we become more like Jesus. I think it's the most amazing thing that in the first century, the followers of Jesus, the disciples of Jesus, made disciples of Jesus so much so that they became more and more like Jesus that, that the rest of the world began to mock them and said, you're little Jesuses. You're little Christ's Christian. It's how we're identified. To be a Christian is to become increasingly more like Jesus. But how do we get there? Well, our church has a strategy. It was the same strategy that Jesus employed. We say we want to be disciples of Jesus that build disciples of Jesus. And we have to start with that being. Jesus went and gave the Great Commission to whom? He said, he called and he said to his disciples... You see, the commission begins with the disciples who then build disciples. Jesus started the motor. We need to start with discipleship. And what does that mean? Well, we go back to our verse. And, and Jesus, because he's awesome, gives us a three-point sermon because he's pretty sweet. He gives us three points of what does it mean to follow him. He says, you want to be my disciples? Disciples must deny themselves. There's an important word there, must. And we see this. That disciples must deny themselves. It's not, a, it's not an option. There is something in Christianity that begins with the denial of self. And so, what does it mean that we ask? What does it mean to deny themselves? And there's a word in English that we have that we don't use nearly enough, I believe, but it's relinquish. It's to set down and set apart and set aside. To deny ourselves is to relinquish the throne of our lives, isn't it? It's to say, I have the right to have this, but I'm willingly letting it go. And I'm giving it up for a purpose and a cause and a reason. There is a, uh, there's a guy named Aaron who desperately wants to cling to the throne of my heart. And I have to beat him down every day, multiple times, because he's stubborn like that. He wants to be there, but here's the thing. That guy named Aaron is a tyrant. He's not a good leader of my life. He led me into paths of unrighteousness, into selfish living. He is insatiable. I can never give him enough, and there is never enough for him. And because he's so self-centered, everything is about serving him, he ends up robbing and taking away from other people in, in my life until they are destroyed, until my relationships are destroyed, until I am isolated and alone. Aaron must die. I have to relinquish that throne to somebody else who's a little more qualified. Jesus talks about it like this. He says, if you try to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, and boy, is that a powerful portion there, for his sake, you will save it. He goes on to ask an important question him on there. He says, what does it gain a person if they gain the whole world but lose their soul? What's more important to a person than their very soul? And we find that in our own life that we are our own worst enemy. 
The things that we try for so much and strive for, the things that we think are going to make us so happy are the very things that don't make us happy. When we strive for freedom that is outside of Christ, we find ourselves in bondage, don't we? And we find ourselves isolated. And we find, get this, that nobody else wants to bow a knee to our throne. And so we go to war with people all the time. And we don't have peace, and we don't get what we want, and we're never satisfied anyway. And Jesus offers us a new way, a better way. And he says, you want to be my disciple? He, he needs to be the throne of our heart. We have to relinquish control. Paul put it this way a little differently. He says, or have you forgotten that when we were, that we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism... Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? There is a something about being like Jesus in this relinquishing of control. What is happens in baptism? We identify with Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection. Jesus came and he died. Scripture says he emptied himself out. Even though he had all the equality of God... And all the rights of God, he didn't consider those things to be clinged to at that point because he was doing something for God. And so he emptied himself, became of nothing, put on the form of a servant, even, even took a shameful death, even a death on a cross for us. He relinquished control of his throne because the mission and the message of God was worth it. He invites us to be like that. There is a death to self that is necessary in the Christian life. And let me explain to you exactly what that means. We all have desires, don't we? And they're not bad desires. They're just desires. Desires can take us good places and they can take us bad places, but they're just there. But we take these desires and we let these desires then rule our life. And we do things by these. And then when our desires don't happen, we get upset and frustrated and mad and angry and bitter. And it takes us from a place of love to a place of selfishness. I'll give you a real example from my own life. I love my wife deeply, deeply. She is a phenomenal woman. And I would love nothing more, and she would love nothing more for her to be healthy. We would love that. But she's in the hospital today, and she has been for a couple days, again. And we've prayed for years, fasted, had elders put oil on it. It's not an issue of faith. It's not an issue of God's power. See, we had plans. We had desires for her to be healthy and what our life would look like for that. But God has bigger plans in our lives than our comfort. And we had to relinquish control of those dreams and desires. We had to come to a place where we say, God is still good. And he is doing good even in this. That's what it means when it says that he will give us a peace that surpasses understanding. That means our peace won't make sense to the rest of the world. And that means our peace pretty much often doesn't come with peace. When people look at you and they say, well, how on earth are you peaceful in the midst of this? You should be panicked. And we'd say, I don't know. But I'm not. Because we have a God that is that is bigger than those desires. We were willing to lay down our plans for our life so we could pick up God's plans for our life. And I will tell you, there are people in the kingdom now because he's allowed us to walk this difficult path. You understand that God has something way more important in our life than our comfort and our wealth and our success. Guess what? 
you're going to be really comfortable in heaven. And you're going to be really, really rich in heaven. And you're going to be really successful in heaven. You're going to be co-heir with Christ. All those things are fine. And they are yours or the gift in Christ. You already have it. So you're willing to lay down the little things today so you can pick up the bigger things later? Are you willing to relinquish that, that kingship of your heart and say, I demand to have my life look like this because I have earned it? And to begin to a point and say, we died and we're buried with Christ in baptism. That's what it means. Not my life anymore. I don't own it. He does. I put off the old self. I died and now I am raised again. And it says we were raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father so that we now also have new lives. Isn't that amazing? And that new life in Scripture, it says it's one that's clothed in Christ. It's like we take, take a, a Jesus costume and we just put it on the outside. And people look at us. They say, wow, that person's a lot like Jesus. That's what it means when they say Christian. <laughs> we stop living for my things and we start living for God's things. And His things actually satiate. They actually bring joy and freedom. But it begins with the painful decision that makes no sense to that sinful nature to lay it down. My disciples, he said, must deny themselves. And he also says then the crazy thing, they've got to take up the cross. You know that Jesus said this before he was on the cross? A little foreshadowing, maybe? You know how awkward that would be? That would be like me telling you this morning. If we... If you want to be a follower at this church, you know, you got to go into the electric chair and follow me. That's a crazy thing to say. But Jesus knew what he was talking about. Disciples must take up their crosses. We have to take up our cross daily, actually, don't we? What does that mean? Well, there's a word for that, and that's sacrifice. The cross is sacrifice. The cross is not punishment. Jesus was not on the cross because he was being punished. He had committed no crimes. Right? He wasn't there because he deserved to be there. He was there willingly. He laid down his life for us. That's what the scripture says. There is a portion at which Christian says, I voluntarily, willingly laid down my rights, my will, my way. I'm going to put him to death. I'm going to take up my cross. And a cross is a shameful thing, but it's a way to power. Romans 12:1 says this, talks about that sacrifice. It says, So dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all He has done for you. Let's not read past that too quickly. We lay down our lives, we give our, even our bodies, how we live, the way that we use this physical being that He's blessed us with. And we say to God, this is yours. And why do we do it? Because of all he's done for us. There's a difference there between the Christian and the legalist. Or the Christian and the religious person. Where the legalist or the religious person says this, I will lay down my life. I can speak in the tongue of men and angels because that's what God wants me to do. I'm going to use my gifts to do all those things so because uh, I have to. Or I could give all my money to the poor. Because I have to. I'm going to obey God in all the tiny things. I'm going to strain out the gnat because I have to. Because God's some massive killjoy and I'm afraid of him. And therefore, I'm going to do all of these things. And if I do them, then I'm more righteous than you at least. That's not what he's calling us to. Praise God. 
He's calling us to something so much better. Those of you who have ever been in love, wasn't it a joy to sacrifice some things for the person that you love? I think about the times that, um, here's a real sacrifice, a real deal thing. I hate doing dishes. I hate them. Do not like the dishes. Do not find it edifying in the slightest. I like the product that happens when I do dishes, but I don't like doing the dishes. My wife doesn't like doing the dishes. But the dishes need to be done. And there are days when I'll come home and she's been tired and not feeling good. and I'll go and do those dishes. And I hate doing the dishes. But I love her. Right? There's joy. There is joy in the sacrifice when we remember why we're doing it. Know how much God loves you. When we know how much God loves us, Sacrifice isn't a, a burden. It's an opportunity. We have to remember what Jesus has done for us, who he is and how much he loves us. When I do that, it's not, oh, I have to do that. It's, like, it's anything for you. Anything for you. That's what he calls us to. That's the heart of discipleship. I will lay it down gladly. And let's talk about the things we lay down because they're powerful, painful things to lay down. I've got to lay down my desires. I want this. I will think about... I love watching the Broncos. I don't know why, but I do. And there's that that holy time on my Sunday afternoons that I have now that I'm not a youth pastor that I can watch that. And occasionally the Lord will put somebody into my life that has a need. They're hurting. They need prayer. They need to talk. They need to vent. Am I going to lay down the Broncos to help this person? I know for some of you, like, well, that's a no-brainer question. That's a painful thing, but it's an awesome thing. I will do it gladly. I will always do it gladly. Because there's a love for God's people that He's changed into my heart. It's not even a question. It's not like I'm like, oh, I've got to not watch the Broncos now because I've got to help you learn to love Jesus. Not even close. You would make my day if I could lay that down for you. You understand that there is a passion that God gives us to serve Him and to love Him. We sacrifice out of gladness, but it's painful things. I remember at one point we did this thing called a kingdom assignment. The second one, we had to sell something of value of our own that we really loved. And as a church, we all sold something, value, that we really loved, and we put the money together, and then we used that to bless the community. I had to sell a brand new paintball semi-automatic pistol (laughs) that I had wanted for three and a half years. I loved that little thing. It was was awesome. And as I prayed about, God, we're doing this, what is the thing that's, that's on my heart? What is the thing that I'm most afraid of giving up? And that came like instantly. I was like, no, 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 not that. (laughs) Certainly not that. How about my old shoes? (laughs) Or something. Certainly not that. That. And I sold it. And I was free from it. And God gave me a better heart for my community. 
You see, God tells us to lay down the painful things. How about your schedule? It's hard to do that, isn't it? Because sometimes when you lay down your schedule, you lay down things like promotions. You lay down things like esteem. You lay down things like your hobbies or your off time or whatever you want. Are you willing to sacrifice for Jesus? What is it in your life that is, that is most difficult to get rid of in order to do the work he's called you to do? Because that's the thing that needs to die. And it's okay. Because look what it says here. We do it because Jesus loves us. We remember that. And he says this is the kind of sacrifice that he finds acceptable. What can we bring God that would make him happy? The Old Testament says we can bring him rivers of oil. And thousands and thousands of bloods of, of, of goats and bulls and all that kind of stuff. We really want to bring sacrifice? Is that what makes him happy? He says, no. I would rather have your heart in obedience, he says. It says in the New Testament, our righteous works, our good acts, are like filthy rags. And, and really the idea is like that we went to the bathroom and we use them as toilet paper. That's how filthy they are. That's what it's talking about. Our good works are that. What can we bring God that would be fine pleasing? No one else in the world has this privilege other than a believer because we have been saved by God's grace through faith. And now we have an opportunity to bring something of value to God, something that he treasures and loves and finds great joy in, and that's our lives, ourselves. When we actually use this body and this time and this place and all the things that he's given us to, to love him and to forward his, his kingdom, and to love his people, and to love those that are lost, he says, that's what I'm looking for. That's it. And it brings God joy. Isn't that awesome? Paul goes on to explain in the next verse on this, what does it mean to lay down our lives in this world? How do we have our lives as a living sacrifice? It says this, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. How applicable for today. Don't copy the customs and behaviors of this world. Why? Because everyone in this world, without Christ, they're the kings of their own heart. There's a selfish dictator on their throne. And the ways of this world will obviously work away from the ways of God. There's at some point where the Christian says, I'm not on that anymore. I'm not going to do the things. I'm not going to live life the way that pagans live it. Because it doesn't work. It didn't work for me. It never did. It hasn't worked for anybody. So we stop copying the way that this world says to find happiness or to find security or to find love or to find anything. <laughs> there is a point at which we say, that tyrant on the throne who is me dies and Jesus takes that throne. And I do it daily. I gave an amazing kind of sacrifice. I stop living and according to the way this world tells me to live. I start loving people that the world tells me not to love. I really do. I start caring for things and praying for things and having hope for things that the world says there's no hope in that. I begin finding joy in things that the world says that should devastate you and yet we find joy and peace that no one can explain. You understand that there is a sacrifice that we have to bring and we do it and this is how we do it. We start to actually live very practically in our lives like Jesus is our Lord. And it's not legalism. If it's all about the rules that's going to change me, that's legalism. But it's out of a heart to serve our God, to love Him passionately. Well, that changes. See, it says He's going to change us. He's going to transform our way of thinking. Let me give you a story from my own life, which is embarrassing, but it's true, and it illustrates this very well. 
When I was a youth pastor here, it was my second year at the church. We went down to Mexico. There's a missions trip to go build a house in Mexico in Juarez. And I'd already been there once, but I didn't like Juarez because it's dirty. And I was like, oh. And um, I took three years of Spanish and has helped me none. So I went there. I could say, like, hola, and then I'm done. <laughs> you know, that's it. Uh, and uh, so we go down there, and as we're crossing the border, and as you go from El Paso, and as you go to El Paso in itself, because you live in Estes Park, you think, man, El Paso is like the armpit of America. Like, this is awful. And then you go into Juarez, and you're like, man, El Paso is just, like beautiful. And you get in there, and I have this attitude, like, look at these Mexicans. They just can't get their stuff together. Can't take care of their people. They make them live on dumps and things like this. What an off! And then look at these people still living in dumps, doing these things. And now we're down here building a house. They can't even build their own house. Right? So that's where I was. And then so we go there and we start working and we lay the cement. We put up the walls and all this whole time. I'm thinking to myself, how what a righteous man I am. I'm patting myself in the back, helping those poor Mexicans out. Right, doing the things and, and how good we are for these, these poor disheveled people that I just pitied, but I did not love. And then, two days before we left, the owners of the house came by. And the, the husband and the wife came and they had some kids and like this, and they saw this, which was really what we would look at and wouldn't even qualify as a nice shed. And they look at this, and she just, the tears in her eyes, she comes up to me and says, blah, 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 blah. I don't know. I don't speak in tongues. <laughs> and, and all that moment, what I saw in her face was something amazing. It was love and gratitude. And I was cut to the core of my heart because I didn't love her. She was sensing gratitude for a love that didn't come from me, but God loved her and was willing to use a, a legalistic, pompous guy like me to go down there and to meet that woman where she's at. And God changed my heart in that moment. But for the rest of the two days that we were there and then for the many years after that we went back, I no longer saw Mexicans. I didn't see rich or the poor or those things. I saw people that God loves. That change didn't come from me. And it certainly didn't come from doing righteous acts. It came from God who transformed the way that I think. And it happened because I was willing to sacrifice a little bit of time in myself. And God met me there and changed me. Then I will be able to learn what God's will is for us, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Jesus then goes on. This last thing he talks about, he says, Whoever wants to be my disciple may take up their cross, and deny themselves, take up their cross, but do it this. And follow me. Can you imagine that following Jesus actually means that disciples need to follow Jesus? I mean, think that shouldn't be such a profound statement, but how often in our faith does it not become that way? We want to be like the crowd that Jesus warns in that very verse. They want us to come for the show. We build the big stadiums, and we think winning is when we fill the stadium. Instead of winning is making people into the image of Christ and seeing God change lives and hearts. We need to actually follow Jesus. And Jesus goes to places that make us all very uncomfortable. I mean, he hangs out with the kinds of folks that would give us a bad reputation. And he says things in our lives that really kind of are offensive. 
And he stands with God unflinchingly in areas that would, we would kind of just wish that he would just kind of simmer down on that just a little bit. Following Jesus means following Jesus. There's a word that we use in our language, and that's this. We imitate him. And Jesus shows his disciples, he talks to his disciples, and he says, ways do I want you to imitate me? The first one, he wants us to imitate him in, his act, in our actions. He says, I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. An example. He shows us how to love people. He shows us what does it mean to actually love God with our lives. If you want to look at an example of how do I love this world, stinky, crazy, sinful, bad, the way that it is, drives me nuts, how do I love these people? You look at Jesus. How does he do it? He sets us an example, and he wants us to actually do it. Can you imagine? Paul talks about this, and so does Peter, so does James. They all say, listen, if you have faith, but it's not doing anything in your life, it's not actually out there loving people and changing the way what you do, you might want to look to do you really have faith. Now, there is a, there's a dynamic nature to the Christian faith that is that's crazy because it's not human-powered. It's Holy Spirit-powered. God is in this, and he moves us, and he changes us. And if God is there, we expect change. And we expect us to be able to become more and more like his likeness. How many churches are formed and they look like the people that formed them? And then they stay like the people who formed them. The problem isn't that the church has started that way, it's that they stay that way. Christians, even the church itself, needs to stop looking like the people that are part of it and, and it needs to start increasingly look like Jesus in our hearts and our attitudes and our actions. We've got to start beginning to actually do the things that God has called us to do. To, to really love the unlovely. To really serve those who have nothing to offer back. To be willing to get our hands and also our reputations dirty a little bit. Because we love people enough. Got to do it. Because that's what following Jesus is about. And a church that follows the Lord follows him. And he reminds us of this. He says, slaves aren't greater than their masters, nor a messenger more important than the one that sends the message. We're not better than bigger than Jesus. He's our king. And he says this, now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. And that just shows how amazing he is. Because God, he doesn't have to have a power trip. He is power. Right? He could just say, do this. You don't, boom, there you go. I smite thee. Right? That's all he has to do. And if God said, do this, and we said, okay, I did it. Yes, sir. He'd be like, good, because I told you to. End of story. That's what he could do. He doesn't have to bless us. But he says, listen, I came here and I showed you this is what it's like. This is how you love people. This is how you serve people. This is how you lay your life down for others, for God's kingdom. This is how you live real life in an important life, in a life of purpose and power, a life of freedom. This is how you do it. I've shown you how to do it. Now go do it. And if we do it, and he says, sweet, I'm going to reward your socks off. <laughs> Give me blessings. That just shows how amazing he is, how much he loves us. He gives us an example, and he gives us so much more than just you have to to follow. We get to follow our Lord. But it's not just his example in our actions. We get to follow his example in our attitudes. It says, you must have the same attitude as Christ Jesus had. And in context, he says in there, Though Jesus was God, I mean, he had the right to just be pompous because he's God, right? Like, he could do anything he wanted. And he could demand everybody just go and worship him and bow down and all those kinds of things. He could have taken over the world by force at any moment. But instead, he said he emptied himself, took on the form of a servant, 
became obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's an attitude. That's a great attitude. That's the difference between when my son, when I tell him to do something, it's like, oh, fine, and you will do it or else you'll punish me. I say, you know, Dad, thank I'll do it. Yeah, I'll do it. And for me, it's a, it's a, as a dad, it speaks to my heart so much when I see my son do something out of love instead of just out of raw obedience. So Jesus set an attitude for us to follow. It's an attitude of this. It's not about me. He set a selfless attitude, an attitude of love. And he beckons us, he calls us, invites us to say, you know what, let's start loving God. Let's really start doing it. Let's really start loving other people. Let's start doing it and see how God transforms us and changes us into more and more of his likeness. Let's have that attitude like Christ Jesus said. It's it's not about me or my comfort or my way or my preferences anymore. It's just not. It's about what Jesus wants. And what he wants is so much better. So let's go for that. Disciples follow. They imitate Christ in that way. But not is it just their motivations and their atti- or their actions and their attitudes. It's their motivations. It's at a deeper level. Jesus goes to the heart. He's a deep guy. Have you ever been reading the Gospels that Jesus will say something and you're like, oh, that's cool. And then you'll come back several years later and you'll read the same thing. You might have read it 15, 20 times between them. But all of a sudden, you're like, whoa! Why did you have to say that? Now I'm convicted and it's deep and it's challenging and it's powerful. Why? How did I miss that? Jesus speaks deep. And he goes to the deep parts of our hearts and he doesn't tell us to wash the outside. He says, transform from the inside. He doesn't call us just to have a new kind of way of living. He calls us to a whole new life. This is so cool. It's amazing. And he says this. He goes to the very attitudes, that the, the things that go before our attitudes. He says, I want your motivations to be right. And look at this motivation written by John. If you read the Gospels and you read John, John was a little hothead. He was like, hey, didn't worship Jesus right away. Torch him! Right? Jesus called him Son of Thunder. And by the end of his life, he's known as the Apostle of Love. There's a transformation that took place in that man that carries through the, through the, through the millennia. God changed his motivations for doing the right things. He changed him into this. He says, so now, this is according to Jesus, says, now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. And Jesus said to teach the disciples to obey all the commands that he has given us. So let's start with this one. That's a hard one. He says, I've loved you. Show love to others. Love. We're going to talk about that. In fact, I can't even, I can't even talk about this next series because it just is too awesome. It's coming up this fall. It's called Love Works. And we're going to go through the Corinthians 13 verse, talk about love and how it transforms your life. It's amazing. But God changes us because he changes our attitudes. He changes our actions. But he starts by changing our very motivations. If your motivation is to do things in church so that you can be righteous, then you're doing it for the wrong reasons. You are righteous in Christ. God has already saved you. If you're doing things in the Christianity so you can feel you know, good about yourself and have this sense of purpose, you're doing it for the wrong reason. God has purpose for you already. right? You're not going to lose that. And so... If you want a pat on the back, Jesus said, come and die. If you're, looking for, if you're looking for control or for power or for other people to esteem you, Jesus said, take up your cross. Do the shameful things sometimes. Worry about God more than other people. But here's a motivation that God says is pure and right and is good. It's why don't you love God? 
How do we take a look at the way that we're living, the way that we're ministering, the way that we, we interact with God, and the way we interact with other people, and we ask that question, do we really love each other? Or do I only help other people out when it's convenient and it feeds me, feeds my desire, my needs for whatever? Am I willing to love another person and lay down things at great cost to me when I get nothing back? Am I willing to do that? Take a look at my life and my schedule and all the things that are part of my life. Am I really loving people with the time and the treasure and the talent that God has given me? Am I really loving him? Am I really loving you? That's a good question because that's an issue of motivation. And Jesus says, follow me, imitate me, start to love. You know, Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he was there and he was praying and he was crying out to God, not this cup, please, not this cup, anything but this right now. And then... God said, yes, that cup, yes, right now, because I have something bigger and more important. And so Jesus said, not my will, but yours be done. And why? Well, the scripture says he endured the shame of the cross, the horror of the cross, because of the glory set before him. There was a promise. There was a peace to God. And there was love that was there. It was love that compelled Jesus to go to that cross. Love for the Father, knowing that the Father's will was more important than his own. And there was a need that we had that was more important than his comfort at that moment. So he was willing to lay it down. Love. Love needs to be our motivation. It is the very thing by which we as Christians move and breathe and change. So we need to imitate Jesus in our love. How do we do that? Well, that's a hard thing. How do we do all of this? Well, as we bring this message, kind of wrap this up, we understand that discipleship is a, it's a process, but it's also a decision. Now, we got to choose Jesus, and now we get to choose to follow him. And he tells us very clearly what that means. We have to deny ourselves. We have to relinquish control of our heart and our lives to Jesus. Our plans, our goals, our, our treasure, whatever we have belongs to God now and needs to be used for him. And that means obedience. And I know that's a really bad word, but it's a beautiful word. Teach them to obey all I've commanded is what he says. Because what he tells us to do, his commands are not burdensome, but they're life-giving. They bring freedom. He tells us disciples take up their crosses. It means that we have to, we have to sacrifice selfishness as believers. If you want to be a follower of Jesus, there is no place for selfishness. If there's anything in your life that's more important than God or more important than another person, you have to get rid of it. That's it. We have to sacrifice those things so that way we can love like God wants us to. And as we sacrifice selfishness, that means that we are driven into service. Service is actually caring for other people. It's about seeking their best and not our own. It has to be active and loving. Followers of Jesus, well, they follow Jesus. Go figure. We have to imitate Christ's example. And that means we have to get into discipleship. Now let's just suppose, this is a hypothetical, that for your job, for your work, or whatever, there's a certain skill set that you absolutely have to have. And in order to learn this, because it doesn't come by your nature, you have to take a class to teach it. Let's just say that it's trigonometry, because, oh. You have to learn this, this thing. And so you say, okay, I want to learn it. It's not what I would naturally come to, but I'll learn it. And they say, okay, how do we do it? And they give you your syllabus, and this is how you do it. They say, we meet once a week. There's 150 people that are in the class. And so the teacher will do their best job to give a lecture that, to teach you guys how to do it. And they will solve the problems on the board. And you're like, great. So you go there a few times and you've got questions because it's complicated stuff. 
And so you go, you say, well, what do I do with these questions? And the teacher just tells you, well, you've got the book, figure it out. Well, are you going to pass? You're not going to, you're not going to excel in your job. You'd be like, there's something wrong with this system. That's not how it works. You understand that discipleship is a different kind of beast all in, in its own. That we're learning a new way of life. And I love the Sunday mornings. We come together and we connect and there's unity and the God's praised in this and it's a wonderful thing. But this is not discipleship. Don't kid yourself. This is a, this is a prelude to discipleship. It's an encouragement for discipleship. It's a place to begin to connect, but discipleship does not happen once a week on Sunday. You don't learn how to follow Jesus just by listening to me. I can't do it. I can't solve enough problems up here that you can say this is how it applies perfectly. We need to grow to be like Jesus, which means that it's not a Sunday morning endeavor. It's an everyday endeavor. We see discipleship happens in community. Jesus didn't just send his disciples off on their own. He brought them together to him and he trained them. This is what it means. And then he sends them out and he didn't say, just teach people. Don't tell them what I've done. He says, train them, show them how to obey me in all things. There is a necessary community to faith. We call it the church, but it's just a body of family of faith. We come together to grow more like Jesus. But we understand discipleship also happens in smaller groups. It's not just in the big group setting because you are individuals, unique. How does God's word apply to you right down where you're at? We don't have time this morning to go through each one of your issues, what you're going through, and try to figure out. But you know what? You need to have a small group of Christians around you to help you grow. And this fall will be forming new small groups, and I hope that you would join and get into those. I need, I need people to facilitate, to open their homes for six or eight weeks so we can get you guys together, not so you could learn more, but so that you could start shape, knowing each other and help shaping each other more into the life of Christ. Uh, small groups are, are fundamental to us growing like Jesus. Also, we understand that discipleship happens one-on-one. How many times did Jesus go and pull Peter aside? Or John aside, and you're like, well, you know. Or just as little guys and say, you know, this is, this is how we do this. You need to have deep relationship. And deep relationship, yeah, we start with the crowd. And as you guys get to know each other, there's going to be a person or two that you're going to get to know. And I'll tell you this. You grow more when you disciple somebody than you ever do any other time. I was at the hospital on Thursday night, ER, all night with my wife, and it was terrifying. And I was sitting there, and I was really mad at God. And I was saying, God, I'm, he gave me this passage right before she went in, which really irritated me. Uh, he said, uh, don't, don't be anxious about anything, but in all things, with your prayers and petitions, <laughs> um, pray, make them to God and, and thank him for what he has done. Then uh, God will give you this, this peace that passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. And I, I got that, and then I, I had Amy go in the hospital, and I was really upset. I was like, no. And I was really wrestling with him. And then I had a brother in Christ that was... That, uh, writes me, and he was struggling with the very same struggles that I was with. We were on text because it was all I get in the hospital. And he was saying, how could God be good when stuff like this happens? And I'm like, but you know what happened was, it's easy for the pastor to come out when it's somebody else. It's easy for the disciple to come out when it's somebody else. And I was able to see, well, in your situation, you need to trust God. I mean, he's good. He loves you. He will carry you through this. And I was like, that's for me. (laughs) And because my brother was honest and vulnerable enough With his struggles with me, God carried us both out of that place of darkness into a place of hope. Don't deprive yourself of that. You are the disciplers. You are. And you're also the disciples. And we get to do this wonderful thing together. 
So next week we're going to talk about how do we have more for Jesus in our community. How do we reach this community with a revival that doesn't just reach people but changes them from the inside out. How the light of the gospel can reach every corner. But before we do that, we need to do business with Jesus ourselves. Am I becoming more like Jesus? Is his spirit becoming alive in my life? Am I growing deep in him? Is he transforming me? So what I would like you to do is take out your connection card because on the back side of it, there are some options, some things that we can do to maybe take next steps if you're wondering, what do I do next? And on the back of there, you'll see the first thing that you might want to commit to is memorize Mark 8.34. Why? Because it's all about discipleship. Anyone who to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Those aren't just light words. Jesus is telling how it's done. And you know what? We're going to forget that when we go out and we're in the middle of the trials. And when Jesus is telling us to give up something, we're like, oh, I don't want to do that. Let this verse be an anchor in your very soul to tie you to what is true and to give you the power to do what God is calling you to do so he can transform you. Maybe you say this week, I'm going to memorize this, but I'm going to think about it too. I'm going to think on this. In my life, I want to, do I really want to be like Jesus? And if I do, am I really denying myself? How am I denying myself? What do I need to deny myself? from? Am I taking up my cross? What does that even mean right now? What is the thing that's standing between me and what God's doing? How do I kill that? Am I following Jesus? Are my attitudes right? Am I reaching people with love or am I doing it out of shame or some other awful motivation? How do I get back into following Jesus? What would he do in this situation? How do I follow him? Make this passage alive in you. Maybe that's what you commit to this week. Or how about this? Read the Gospel of Mark. Why? Because that's a great Gospel for action. They're always immediately doing things. So it's like, boom, 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 doing stuff for Jesus, right? But in the walk, God changes them, and he changes the world. So if you want to see a transforming power of the Gospel in real life, read the Gospel of Mark. Because that's the same Jesus, the same Holy Spirit that is with us. He says, I'm with you always, even the end of the age, right? Maybe that's what we see so we can recognize his work in our lives. Or how about this? Maybe you renounce selfish living. Maybe instead of just saying, Aaron, that was a great message. That was really challenging. You actually go home today and think about it and say, how am I really living for Jesus? Because I guarantee every one of us has ways that we're living selfishly. We still have to daily put that, that dead man to, right, on the cross. It's a living sacrifice for a reason. Maybe you look at your life and say, man, I'm doing a lot of great things. God's doing a lot of great things in me, but this one thing is standing between me and what he's wanting to do. I have to kill it, and you renounce it. And you choose in your heart and your mind. You say to God, I need your help to put this thing to death because it's painful and scary, and I don't know how to do it. But you start with the decision of of repentance. You say, I'm going to renounce this, this selfish living, and I'm going to start living for bigger things. Or maybe what you commit to is you commit to discipleship. You say, you know what? I'm, I'm dissatisfied with spectator faith. I want to be like Jesus. I want to have purpose in my life. I want to have that kind of peace that surpasses understanding. I want to know when I walk into something, God's at work. And I want to know when I pray, there's power. I want to become more like Jesus. So I'm going to, I'm going to hold on to discipleship. And that means I'm going to get into a relationship with a smaller group of Christians. I'm going to find somebody that can draw me up. And maybe I've been walking with the Lord for a while and it's time for me to actually get in and start discipling people. And I'll tell you, we've baptized a lot of people this year. I need disciplers. I just don't have any more time. 
It's just totally packed out teaching people how to walk with the Lord, but I'm not the only discipler. I need some to come alongside and say, I will be willing to step up and to love a young brother or sister in Christ and teach him what it means. Maybe you choose discipleship. And if they check that and you want some help on that other line, let me know how I can help you. You say, hey, Aaron, I, I'd love to have a conversation. Love to meet, I would love to meet with you on that. 